This is Aliens and Artist, part one of our conversation with Ann Tyler. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Ann is a licensed psychotherapist specializing in gifted children. She is founder of the Tyler Institute. She served in the Air Force National Guard, and she is an experiencer. Her story is absolutely fascinating, and just to give you a heads up, we go long and we go deep. This is a three-parter and practically constitutes an audiobook in its totality. Anne's work in the Air Force Guard intersects with her history as an experiencer. She was part of a clandestine program which trained carefully selected people in out-of-body reconnaissance to spy on non-human entities. Yes, you heard me right. Her account is buttressed by volumes and volumes of documents, records, photographs, and corroborating accounts of family and friends. This is The Motherlode, and I hope you are ready to strap in and absorb one of the more remarkable accounts we've had the privilege to share on this show. This is someone I've worked with for hundreds of hours over the past year. Her decision to go public with her experiences was an Olympic move. As you hear her history, you will understand why. Put your headphones on, shut your eyes. I give you Ann Tyler. So I guess the easiest place to start is background on who I am. I grew up in a small town in Iowa and lived a pretty normal small town life. I went to a Protestant church, went to college in Iowa at a state school, got into fundamentalism for a couple of years. I was in the Air Force through the Air National Guard, got married and went to grad school. And I went to college for many different things. I couldn't make up my mind, but I ended up becoming a family therapist, went to grad school for many years. Through that time, I experienced a lot of health conditions that came up, fibromyalgia, chemical sensitivity, different thyroid issues. I came down with infertility conditions. And later found out I had many other conditions that were kind of thrown in the bucket of fibromyalgia and chemical sensitivities. But I was on a path of searching, and the health problems really sent me searching for solutions. Uh, Regular medical doctors didn't have any ideas. And I went to alternative medicine, found functional medicine. And through that, I also explored different kinds of body work and healing intuitive development, medical intuitive training, even went through Reiki training, did a lot of tarot cards, was really into creativity early on in life. It was music and dance, but later it was writing. And my life felt pretty normal. I got married early in my 20s. We were very close like soulmates and are still together 36 years later. We've always explored deeply different philosophies, spirituality, got into Buddhist practices 25 years ago and the integral movement. Integral theory has informed my work and my life since. But I never considered anything in my life to be very unusual. The biggest miracle I knew was when I had twins 15 years into our marriage with infertility conditions. I ended up staying home with them for most of their childhood up until middle school when I went back to work part-time as a psychotherapist. By then, I'd become aware of a specialty that I entered serving gifted and talented and highly creative people and children and families. So I went back to work and really enjoyed that work. I still do that today. 
I got really interested in neuroscience, was as interested in that as I was intuition and creativity. I specialized in neuroscience of executive functioning skills and did a lot of clinical hypnosis that I was trained through the University of Minnesota. A lot of self-healing through self-hypnosis training. We used hypnosis for healing and medical procedures. I also did a lot of play therapy and developed groups for kids. Trained a lot of therapists and educators, and I had a very highly diverse population, both culturally and the interests and abilities, including learning disabilities, and those that I saw. I was getting ready to become a neuropsychologist about a year ago. I was going to go back to school and start doing testing for highly gifted children because it's very complicated in their differential diagnosis. So that's where I was about a year ago. And this is the stuff that's, <laughs> that's easy for me to talk about. You know, I was very interested in this. I enjoyed my work. I still do. And this is basically what I talk about, my family, my job, my career, and what I hope to do with it. And I thought that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I'm in my 50s now and was getting ready to develop ways to take out my unique approach for therapy into the world you know, over the next 10 years. But about eight months ago, my life <laughs> took a really strange turn. And it hasn't been the same since. There has been such highly unusual things happen in the last eight months to me that I never could have expected, never asked for, never even knew existed. Honestly, I, other than, you know, energy medicine and alternative and spirituality, I, I haven't even encountered what I've experienced in the last eight months prior to that time. So this is the first time I've shared my story in public and I don't really need to go out in public with this, except that I do think it's really important and I hope it helps other people because it's, a, it's really hard to share this kind of stuff. I came from a pretty traditional world and this anomalous experiencing isn't something that any of us really talked about, I either socially or professionally. And so it's been, it's been quite a trip for me to enter into this world. It's hard to say the exact moment that everything started. But I definitely know that, Stuart, you've been in the center of all of it. <laughs> and you were the first person I showed up in front of. The first thing I said to you was, when we met in person over Zoom, was that I have absolutely no idea why I'm here. There's been nothing strange that's ever happened to me. And the way I arrived in front of you is strange all in of itself. So I have known of you for 25 years because of the integral movement and was just really interested in you for other reasons. You're also a Buddhist practitioner and from the integral movement and interested in helping people develop creativity. And I loved your music. And I attended a couple of your concerts about every, I don't know, seven or eight years. I'd check in and say, oh, what's Stuart's up to now? And 
in the summer of 2020, I became aware of your podcast, this podcast, Aliens and Artists. And I just thought, wow, what is Stuart up to now? And so I listened to your Mantis episode. Strangely, I immediately played it for my husband and children who were twins and they're age 19 at that time in the summer of 2020. <laughs> Within 24 hours, my husband happened to be looking at his cousin's website. And she's a photographer on the East Coast and does artistic photography and has showings. And she had a picture of herself naked from the back. And on her shoulder was one tattoo. And it was, a, it was of a praying mantis. So <laughs> we just thought, wow, that's interesting. We forgot all about it and just went on. I mean, 2020 was pretty crazy and busy with everything to do with COVID. So I just forgot about it. I had no trouble believing your podcast. I just thought, wow, that is a lot for Stuart to go through. A year later, in the summer of 2021, again, I was starting to wonder what you were up to because I'm like, oh, didn't he have that podcast? I wonder what else he's got on there because I, I knew anything that you did would be thoughtful. So I started listening to the podcast every night. I, I had no idea what everyone was talking about. I mean, this was a world of all kinds of anomalous stuff that I'd never heard of. So I was trying to take that in, but it's a lot of information. I just, I, it was just a lot. But what I do is I, I do have journals. And as I was preparing for this interview, I actually found a journal entry from June of last year, 2021, that surprised me because I just write stuff down and forget about it. But when I started listening to the podcast, I started having all of these visual disturbances. And I even had to give them all names because they were reoccurring. So I had one I called the black blotch, which was a stable blotch that I would see sometimes that was just sort of opaque and black. And then I had one I called the black blob, which was kind of a mist that I would see sometimes in my visual field. And then I had one I called the shape-shifting blob, where it would kind of move a little bit. Um, and sometimes these were manifesting in physical space. Sometimes my eyes were open. Sometimes they were closed, and it would kind of shift around. And then I had one I called this point of light portal that had a small point of light that would open up a little bit. And I'd see moving objects or symbols inside. And then I had these points of light and shapes of triangles that would move through my visual field sometimes as I would go to sleep at night. And I would get these small lights in my visual field, sometimes at the periphery, sometimes darting through. And then I wrote about a dark cloud that was misty that was in my office. It was in my visual field sometimes at night. But again, I just write it down and forget about it. And there was a dream that I had in June when I started listening to the podcast. And the notes that I wrote said, first invitation. This is the morning dream of two guides. I woke up with vibrating energy in a higher vibrational field of some kind. I remember saying in the dream, I am ready. I am here. And then a column of light came down. And I heard without words, we know we have been watching you. And that entire day, I was taking notes because it felt magical. It was a time of high intuition and synchronicity, which I was used to. But to me, that was just normal when times like that would happen. I was sitting outside and there was silence everywhere and there was no motion for an extended period of time. 
And I thought that was so unusual. And I wrote about many synchronicities that day with birds across media, symbols repeating, things coming across music and, and TV. But I completely forgot about this day and never looked at it again until now. For the next three months, I was listening to the podcast and still just kind of in awe of what everyone was saying. When I finished all the episodes, I had trouble remembering a lot of what was said, even of people in your podcast that I knew of, you know, that I even heard their heard of them before. And I thought that was so strange. So I just started listening to the episodes again. And this was in September, about the beginning of September. And so I just started listening with a softer attention, less cognitively trying to figure everything out. And I started getting all of these somatic body reactions at different points when people would say things. And I thought that was so strange because it kind of felt like nervousness or anxiety or dropping inside of me, like when you're on a roller coaster. And I thought, well, you know, this stuff doesn't make me nervous. I don't really know why I'm having body reactions to it. And so, again, I just kind of shut that down, like, you know, maybe you're just getting spooked or something at night. Maybe someone, I don't know what it was. I couldn't explain it. And by the end of September, there was one day that I took my daughter to a medical appointment. I was waiting to to pick her up, and I was just doing errands like I always did. And I, I stopped at a gas station, and there was money on the ground, coins. And I just say hi to my dad when I see that. You know, that's something I established as communication with him about 20 years ago when he died. That's just something I do regularly. I don't <laughs> I don't see money on the ground as often anymore. So we don't carry change around, but it happens at gas stations, so that wasn't unusual. But then I went to another location to do another errand, and there was money on the ground again. So I thought, oh, wow, dad's around more today than usual. But then I went to a grocery store that had a restaurant where I was going to sit and wait. And I sat outside, and it was really beautiful weather. It was really peaceful there. I looked on the ground next to the table, and there was <laughs> there was a pile of money on the ground. <laughs> and so there's a whole bunch of coins, and they were stacked neatly in almost like a pyramid shape. I just kind of stared at those going, wow, that's really cool. I mean, Dad is really around today. <laughs> and, you know, I just laughed at it, and I thought, well, you know, a child must have sat there and maybe was someone gave him some coins to play with and they piled them up. So I'm like, okay, that's cute. But then I got in the car and I got these really highly emotional waves of love from my dad out of nowhere. I mean, I'd never even had an experience like this since he had died. I mean, it made me cry and sob because it was so palpable. And I just kept thinking in my head, oh, my gosh, I really miss my dad because I felt that love. And then it kind of went away almost as fast as it appeared. And I was really confused as to why now. And I kept thinking, you know, mental health professional, is there something unresolved? <laughs> you know, what do I need to deal with here? Like, why is this all of a sudden coming up? But then I had stuff to do. So I forgot about it, went on with my day. So like everything else, you got to keep life moving. A couple days later, I was listening to the podcast again. These were new episodes that were coming out, and Kirsten Blackburn was speaking. I think I was on the second or third episode when you were speaking to her. And you were talking about Kay Randall May, and you had both gotten readings from her. And I got intrigued by that, 
because I had studied medical intuition skills and had used those for years, but hadn't really looked into that for quite a while. So I thought, oh, this might be something that will be useful for me. Do a check-in on these conditions that I have. I kept listening. And all of a sudden, you know, I always listen to these at night. It was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 after 11. It was probably 11, 11 since I see that time all the time. And I just all of a sudden had this urge that if I didn't get up and act right now, something was bad was going to happen. And I got up and immediately turned the podcast off and wrote an email to Kay saying I was interested in a reading. I just had to do it. And so I'm like, okay, that'll be fine. About 30 minutes later, my sister in a different time zone texts me a picture of my dad. I'm like, whoa, that's really odd because it wasn't just a picture of him. We hadn't been talking about him or anything. We don't usually share pictures that way, but it was an original photograph of my father when he graduated high school and he graduated in 1935. That was a really long time ago. And I, I was like, wow, where did you get that? And she said, well, this genealogist in Iowa had gone to an estate sale and found this picture. And since it had our dad's name on it, she bought it and did some research online and found his obituary. And she persisted to try and find the family members to return this photograph. And I was kind of dumbfounded because my dad just showed up again. This was just a few days later after that emotional experience of connection with him. I had just spent the last few years seriously studying genealogical research. And I am the genealogist for the family. And the fact that a genealogist had taken all that time to return this photograph and to find the owners meant a lot to me. But I just, I forgot about it again, you know, because I'm like, wow, that's special. Or, you know, why is he showing up? I also remembered at that point another one of the Aliens and Artists podcast interviews with Yvonne Smith when you had talked to her about hypnosis training that was coming up. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I got to find out when that is. So I contacted her immediately that Monday. And she said, oh, it's the weekend coming up, you know, like just in a few days. And I, I without even thinking, I immediately made all the plans for that trip and to show up at her training. And I never plan to travel that fast. This is the first time I'd even entered out after COVID. So it just happened. And my next call was like, oh my gosh, I got to call Stuart. Because I thought, well, if you're going to the training, maybe we should, you know, just say hi, talk before the training or something. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I got to talk to you because you started all this. And <laughs> I don't know, Stuart, I wanted some answers. <laughs> so <laughs> you weren't, you weren't available with when you were going. So we ended up just setting a time to meet, like in a couple days. I was like, great, I'm talking to Stuart. I'm sure, you know, we'll have a lot to say. This is a lot to discuss. But again, I show up uttering those famous, famous last words. I have, I have, I have, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even say it anymore. Okay. I, I have no, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So uh, my, the first words I say to you, Stuart, is, you know, I have no idea why I'm here because nothing strange has ever happened to me. And I fully, 
believe that. And <laughs> I felt so stupid showing up in front of you just babbling on about nothing. I had no <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing there. And all I I was just following that sense of intuition that said, you need to show up there now. And as a writer and someone who journals a lot, I, I was, <laughs> I literally spewed out like 20, <laughs> 20 pages of notes, sort of talking about myself and my life, like almost talking in circles, trying to figure out who I, <laughs> who I was and why I was there. And I look back at those notes and I'm like, I'm not even hardly saying anything except that in the middle of it, I said, well, there is that one time <laughs> when, you know, I, I was really intrigued by what someone said in one of the podcasts about missing time. And I'm like, well, there is that one time that, that comes up from my childhood that feels like a lot of missing time with this friend of mine named Carol. She was my closest childhood friend, like literally from birth until I, I moved away in ninth grade. And we were inseparable as children and lived a few houses away from each other on the same block. And sometime around when we were nine years old in the summer, I believe it was June. So we're coming up on the anniversary now. This would have been about 1974. And we always went to the pool and to the park, which was right next to it in this small town that we lived in in Iowa. And we were always there just a couple of hours. I mean, life was different in the 70s. You didn't carry water bottles. You didn't carry food with you. You know, you go back home when it's time to eat. And we always went to the pool and then wandered around town and hung out at the park. But this day was different. We didn't think it was any different. We were just usually gone a couple of hours. But when we arrived home, it was darker than normal. It was kind of dusk or a little bit later. And we were free-range kids, like literally. Nobody checked up on us. We always, you know, came back to eat. And my parents were older, and they just, they trusted, you know, because we, we always did our own thing. But this time, when we stepped into my house, my parents were so upset and alarmed. Both of them were right there. You know, like my father showed up, too. They were just freaking out as to where we had been. And, you know, Carol and I were just kind of staring at them like, whoa, we've never seen them like that. I don't even remember getting in trouble as a kid. Like anything I did was fine. But it was even more serious than that because... They said the, they had the police out looking for us in this tiny little town where there's one pool and one park. And we knew where we were in the park, which was highly visible. And we'd apparently been gone for probably about eight hours. And they were just getting so upset at us. And we were completely dumbfounded. I mean, we literally talked about this for years and couldn't figure out the adult freakout. And then, so I just kind of thought, well, that might be something strange. I don't know. I'll never know anything about that one. And the only other thing I remember, I mean, there was a few odd things I brought up with you, random pieces of weird. But the other thing I remember was 
I said, well, there's, you know, if I think of, you know, if someone says, what's something that seems strange to you? I brought up this, this thing that I did for a really long time that I didn't know what to call. I, I called it something like intuitive driving. And I thought, I don't know. I was just told where to drive, when to drive, where to go. And this went on for years and years. And I just thought, I don't know. Is that related to missing time? I, I don't even know what to think of that. All I can say is that's weird. And that's kind of where we left it. And I'm like, okay, well, I talked to Stuart. He thinks I'm strange. And nothing strange has ever happened to me. So I did get a reading by Kay that week. She's absolutely amazing. She was entirely physically accurate with my body. She said, yeah, I think you've had ET contact. I'm like, okay, well, I'll never know anything about that because i got no memories. And I just let that go. And then the next day is when, uh, that was Friday of that week, is when I got on a plane to go to California to Avon Smith's training. On the plane, as we were getting closer to California, I started listening to her interview because, again, I couldn't remember it. I'm like, I haven't even read her books. I don't know anything about her. I don't remember the interview, so maybe I should listen to it and try to get caught up with something here before I meet her. And towards the end of that interview, I started going into, I don't know, some kind of altered state. And, you know, your voice came on, one of your songs came on. And I noticed as I was listening to them that there was such a strange sense of things shifting, like time was literally distorting. And (laughs) Stuart, I guess you're in the middle of this one, too. (laughs) Your voice started speaking really slow, and I thought there was something wrong with my recording or that kind of a thing. And I realized that there wasn't anything wrong with it. And I just, I just started going, cool. (laughs) Like, wow, (laughs) it's kind of trippy. And something happened with the music that was at the end of that too. I think it was my, one of my favorite songs of yours that I hadn't heard in a really long time. I think it was Deity Freak. <laughs> yeah, keep the feeling freaky. And it was, I was, <laughs> I think you threw me into an altered state of some kind of strange time distortion. I managed to get myself back to thinking to get off the plane. All these people were magically helping me. I didn't have to touch my bags for the entire trip. Everyone was super helpful. I literally had people coming up to the airport asking, asking, to give me directions. And I thought it was so strange. I'm like, do I really look that old? Like I need help? And I I don't know what that was, but it happened the entire trip. But I went to the hotel and I'd been up for hours. And so I took a brief nap. And when I woke up, there was like this, like I woke up really suddenly, like there was like a shock to my system. And the first thought I had in in my head was, oh no. I tried to open my eyes and everything was extremely blurry, barely visible, just outlines only. And my eyes hurt really, really bad. And I was trying to get my eyes to clear up and there was nothing I could do to get them to clear up. And there was this deep drop in my stomach. I hadn't, I know I hadn't been asleep very long. I couldn't understand what was happening. And I immediately felt something inside my body. It was like vibrations. It felt as though it was like an energy ball. 
I couldn't see anything. I could only feel sensations. And it was in the solar plexus area. There was no color, no light, no shape. I couldn't even go into my body and see it. But I felt this sort of intense vibrations. And at first, it felt like burning or deep illness. I felt really ill. But the fire that it had had a different quality. I can't even describe it. And I felt like it was alive and it was terrifying at first. I'm pretty good in a crisis. So (laughs) I just kind of said, okay, I'm just going to watch it. And it kind of changed in intensity. It kept rising and falling in intensity and it would move around inside my body. I could tell where it was when it was closer to my belly button, when it was closer to my spine and it would go up to my heart region and sort of shoot energy through the upper part of my arms and shoulders. It would go up and down my vertebrae and I could tell exactly which ones it was on. And there were four of them that it specifically started pulsating on. And there was these big waves of energy that would go through my body. A few times I kind of felt alarmed and I was, you know, assuring myself, you know, just calm down, you know, just, just watch it. You know, I can, I can do this. And it wasn't like any past meditations that I've done where I meditate on pain sensations, which I've, I've done plenty in my life. I mean, this thing was alive and it had a volition and there was nothing I could do to change it or I wasn't even interacting with it. I just had to watch what it was doing and I had to just let it, let it be. And it definitely had some kind of intelligence. It was kind of forcing me to accept communication on like this nonverbal level. I, every time I tried to open my eyes, all I got was short glimpses of that blurry room and it burned so much and it would make me panic. So I kept my eyes closed. So it went on for quite a while and I, I could hear sirens and car alarms ever so briefly and it would kind of shock my system and I could actually feel a startle response from my body. But I realized that there wasn't any other sounds. And all of a sudden, I felt a sharpening of my vision on the back of my eyelids. And I saw the vision of an alien face coming towards me. It was almost as though it was kind of a a still image. And it was coming towards me. It had a triangle-shaped head. It was floating. And it was holding up a really long, strange-looking finger. I could see the joints. There was another figure of an alien next to it, kind of looking around, like where you could only see half the face. I could tell that the large alien had on some kind of cloak or clothing, but I couldn't see past the waist. I couldn't see details or colors of that because I was completely transfixed on the face and the eyes and that finger. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop staring at that finger. And it was, they were just sort of floating in closer and closer. And when that finger got up to me, you know, it just felt very hypnotic and it, it's like it entered, it got really close or entered in to, I don't know, like my energy, my body, I'm not sure. But the moment that it did, I felt like my entire body perspective, my sense of where my body was completely changed. I, I, I felt like I was being moved into a, laying down position because I thought I was standing up or sitting up before. And of course I wasn't, but I couldn't, I just couldn't even get a sense of where my body was and where, where it was and where it went. 
And then I sort of really panicked because it was, <laughs> it was the first moment I realized I was completely paralyzed. And I'd been completely paralyzed that whole time. And I was feeling it consciously now. There was no pain, but I couldn't even move a finger or twitch or even open my eyes. I had a little bit trouble breathing at this point because I sensed a tight throat. And that was like the only thing I could feel. I started to notice that the rest of my body had no sensations except that sort of ball of energy that kept moving around that never stopped. I had to keep watching it. And I couldn't get my body to move. I, I literally couldn't fire a nerve anywhere. And then there was this weird zapping feelings that started shooting into the left side of my head, you know, like around the temples, back in between there in my ears. And it was zapping into my head really, really fast, really short. And it was electrical, but different. It was stabbing. It was like nanoseconds. It had a strange pattern. It wasn't the same kind of pattern the whole time. And that was the only thing that I, I really cringed at because that really hurt. You know, I could hear myself just, oh, my God, that hurts. But then it just re returned back to that energy ball. And I was starting to have thoughts of how am I going to get out of this? Because this went on for what I learned later was about two and a half hours. And at one point, I could finally, something released, and I could finally start to move my fingers I was trying to open my eyes, but I could, for some reason, I could only move them to the left. The window was out there. It was still blurry. The quality of light, I could tell, was at least darker. And I noticed that I had tears coming down to my face, but I had no memory of that happening. But it was only out of the left side. And I had this huge quality of sadness. I mean, it was really thick. And I had this blank feeling, this resignation and more tears just started coming down, again, only from the left. And this great silence went on for quite a while. And I was trying to move my body. And I felt so stiff, almost like I was rusty. There was this heavy stiffness. And it took a long time to be able to sit up and try to get feeling back in my legs. I kept having all these flashings of light kept coming in the window. And it was the, the parking lot lights and i thought well they're just coming on because it's getting dark i realized that that had been go that went on for a few hours and that was the only night that that happened luckily my computer was set up being a writer i wanted to write this down because i didn't know if i'd be able to remember this so i made it over to my computer and i still it was still so painful to open my eyes so i literally typed out every single detail that i could remember with my eyes closed and i couldn't hardly acclimate to the room. I knew my son and his friend were coming to stay with me in I don't know how long. I, I looked at the clock and the clock didn't make sense to me. I, I couldn't understand what that time meant. I couldn't figure out what time. I didn't know when he was coming. I couldn't how to <laughs> how to gauge that. And I I kept getting these sick and traumatized feelings as I was typing that out and trying to get my body back, and I suddenly thought, okay, I got to take a shower. Maybe that'll get me back into my body. That's the only thing I can think of. So I walked over to the bathroom and I stood there for quite a while because I literally could not figure out how to take a shower. I, <laughs> I couldn't figure out the steps. And I, I, I was like, what do I need? You know, like, how do I get all the pieces together that I need to take the shower? And I was just really weak and shaky, but something dropped into my mind all of a sudden 
And I thought, you know what, this is real. You know, what do I do now? And I had this sinking feeling. Luckily, I was able to get in the shower, get my body back a little bit. And my engagement with my son and his friend kind of brought me right back. So that was the initial experience of what I thought was the only strange thing that had ever happened to me. The next day, I went to a Bond Smith training and showed up with a group of other therapists. I had some immediate connections to all of them that I felt inside, and that has never really happened to me socially before. I tend to keep a distance. And so I kind of noted that. But the whole And the whole weekend, I really enjoyed it. I just took in all their stories. I'm like, I'm just here to figure this stuff out. I don't know anything about it. But I did really enjoy it. We spent many hours together both days. But I never told them anything about that first experience. And they were, they were therapists. They were experiencers. And they were so highly engaged personally with me and me with them. The hesitancy I felt, I didn't understand it because they were probably the first people I would ever share with. And I couldn't do it. My rational mind was so powerful. I mean, literally in my notes, with all of those visual disturbances, I shut them all down like, oh my gosh, there must be something going wrong with my eyes. Maybe my retina is detaching or something like that. And so I just shut it down. I'd write it down and go on and then never think about it again. This It's just amazing how much gets shut down. And dreams, well, I kind of have this attitude about dreams when I came into all this. Well, it's just a dream, so it's not true. It doesn't really have any significance. Maybe it's symbolic of, I don't know, things I'm processing through. So I just didn't put much weight on any of that. It's very easy to shut a lot of this stuff down. And that's a good segue into what I couldn't shut down. And that was what happened next, because one of the last things that Yvonne Smith covered in her training was things that we might encounter working with experiencers that has to do with things that are on their bodies, body marks. And I'm like, what? Oh, my gosh. And so she was just describing the ones that she has seen the most over the last, you know, 30 years. And (laughs) that next day. I realized that the day before and that morning, there had been a mark that she had described, which was, you know, there might be triangles. I thought, oh, that's so odd, triangles. But I did have a red dot triangle on my left elbow the night before she described that. And I thought, oh, that's just, you know, I'm used to getting rashes. That's a rash. So I just ignored it because when I looked at my arm again, it wasn't there. So I'm like, okay, that wasn't a thing. So I'm good. But then the next morning, I had another red triangle on my arm, three red dots. As a matter of fact, it's still on my arm today. I call it my alien tattoo because it's actually stayed this whole time. I saw this because I was in the hotel and I had my arms up and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a perfect triangle. It's it's small. And I'm like, okay, that's nothing. That's just a coincidence. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yvonne said, if you see anything like that, take a picture. So I'm like trying to take a picture of this. And I was completely transfixed on this going, oh my God. And then I started remembering what happened to me when I first got there. Because I'd forgotten about that while I was talking to people all weekend. 
And as I was taking the picture, I noticed that there was all this other stuff all over my left arm. And so I saw this thing that she described as a scoop mark. It was a really small, round indentation. It was very perfectly round. And then I noticed that there was this long trench on my arm. I call it a trench because I don't, I don't know what else to call it. It's kind of like when you get one of those rectangles of ice cream and you take the scoop across it and you drag it and you get like this trench. And this was several inches across my arm. And then there was a bruise next to it. And then I, as I kept looking, there was this white rash that was all over just the areas where these marks were. When I say white rash, it's, it's not like those white little bumps that you get. They were actually different shaped, almost like edges. Like there was geometric edges to them, but they were very tiny, tiny, but it was only in the areas of this. And I, I, seeing all that on my body, that kind of tripped me into a new place because that was sort of the beginning of my descent into ontological shock. And I had to get on the plane and go home. And I just, I, I felt that this is real. I didn't question that these marks were real, but I kept going into denial and back to real because they were on my body. And all the way home, I just sort of had that same feeling I had in the hotel room when I got there, that deep, blank resignation feeling, that sadness. There were tears coming down my face sort of automatically that I couldn't control, even though I wasn't crying. And there was like a terror creeping in that wouldn't let go. By the time I got home, I I felt like I felt very hypervigilant, you know, and I I'm someone who hasn't really experienced anxiety or hardly any nervousness in my life. Public speaking's about it. And this hypervigilance, you know, this fear creeping in, you know, that's more than watching a movie. Things started happening around me as soon as I got home. Like as soon as I walked in the door, the the lights started flashing on and off in the the first room that I came in. And I started having the electronics started malfunctioning in the house and that continued for weeks, actually a few months of really severe electronic malfunctioning. And I didn't say anything to my husband. As a matter of fact, I didn't say anything to him for like six weeks because, and even though we've been married all this time, I knew he'd accept everything. I just couldn't even think of letting anything out of my mouth because it was so, it was getting so alarming to me. I started having all of these somatic experiences over this next week. And I was literally kind of shaking and my body temperature would drop and get really cold. And in the middle of the night, I would suddenly bolt awake and start coughing and having trouble getting my breath, which has never happened to me before. I was having trouble sleeping at all, getting to sleep. Um, Heart palpitations, I was getting really nervous. I didn't have anything to attach it to other than this creeping feeling of something being real and not really knowing what it is. I would get this strange shaking in my head sometimes when I was sitting during the day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm coming down with Parkinson's or I've got a brain tumor. Looking for anything to attach these feelings to. Thank goodness I was journaling the whole time because I was starting to notice a lot of like memory loss and shutting down. I started worrying about my family members and not wanting to tell them anything because I don't know, it started to feel unsafe. And 
you know, from at least the podcast that I did remember, I had that sense that if this experiencing started, it could like open up to all kinds of different experiences. And I, with all that electronics changing around me and doing things, I was kind of worried about spirits or hauntings or, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I opened some kind of portal to hell and now all this stuff is going to be happening around me. I mean, that was part of what was scary to me. I watched plenty of scary movies growing up and that is a big part of our culture. And the idea that hauntings or really scary things could start happening was more terrifying to me than anything else because of the movies I had watched growing up and how I reacted to those. So that happened. And then I showed up for our second session (laughs) and (laughs) I literally showed up to our session the second time wrapped in a blanket, sort of shaking uncontrollably. (laughs) And this time, (laughs) this time the first words out of my mouth was what kind of crazy ass shit is this? And, and you sort of kindly gave me the invitation, you know, not to use the C word of crazy. And as a mental health professional, I totally got that. I still, I still was pretty concerned about all this. But that was the first validation after my experiencing that, you know what, you're not crazy and this is not crazy. And that was really pivotal for me. And has been ever since. And in that session, you know, you also gave me the message, hey, you know, the body doesn't lie. You need to start listening to that mode of communication. It was very validating that I could actually listen to my body and my emotions, even though I didn't have words for it. I didn't know what the source was, didn't know what was going on. It was still communication. And you started talking about animistic cosmology and recognizing the personhood in everything, including this phenomena. And I was kind of curious about that because yes, I'd heard of animism, but I thought that that was, you know, sort of a regressive mythology. You know, I'd studied integral for a really long time and thought, Oh, we all leave that behind. You know, we get our rational minds on and then that's gone. But clearly there was something to that when you mentioned that in the moment, because I had just encountered something that was alive that had volition and the simple recognition, you know, that you talked to me about, you know, there's no dead objects, all objects, there's subject and object always. And that was one of the most important initial lessons that sunk in for me to acknowledge that this is real. It's, Because there was nothing about what happened to me that had anything to do with my imagination, my 25 years of spiritual practice. I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew this had nothing to do with thought processes or disorders. It was really clear. The other things you introduced that time was something you called genealogy of the strange. I'm like, oh, genealogy i i like that idea but i'm like yeah i have no history of strangers so i don't know what to do with that so i just kind of put that on the shelf and you mentioned a manifesto of human sovereignty i'm like what i'm like okay if it has to do with protection that's okay but that seems like a lot i'm not sure about that but okay and you also mentioned 
It's important to live in the we with other people and to discuss this and to have people around you. And my initial at reaction when you first told me that was, hell no, I'm never <laughs> telling anyone about any of this ever. <laughs> and then you mentioned team building and protection practices, which had to do with internal guides, building a protection circle inside. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely take one of those, whatever, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> I'm going to do that because I didn't feel safe and I didn't know what was going on. And I had no idea how to even approach whatever this was. And the idea of having guides or anything inside that I could contact to help with this was immediately comforting. And I've used it a lot. I was, I was using that a lot at the beginning, especially, and I had no idea what I was doing. I just saw these beings and guides and ancestors around me that were as lighted beings with no identities and began to bring them in to start settling in some sense of safety, some kind of grounding, but it was pretty hard that first week. I really appreciate Anne recounting here how using these tools made a big difference in her life as an experiencer, and for the record, I did not prompt her to do so, but we've talked about these practices on the show before and how they can make a critical impact if actually applied, and these tools include attunement, spiritual team building, a genealogy of the strange, the primordial lineage, body work, practicing dying, perspective practices, state training, positive anomalous culture, writing a manifesto, the bodhisattva's vow, human sovereignty, and more. And by the way, all of these were in action in our one-on-one -on -one sessions before any hypnosis entered the picture. In my view, these practices are indispensable in moving from experiencer to experiencer practitioner. In a while, we're going to hear directly from Anne's husband, Tony. But first, we return to the next stages of Anne's experiences. Okay, well, I thought, all right, we're getting some things going here. Maybe I'm going to be okay but it was still pretty scary. And about two days later, the second experience appeared. And I bolted awake in the middle of the night, very alert. And I had like two visions of these massive metallic plates that were highly detailed. I still have no idea what those were, but there was a grid pattern all the way around these. And there were highly detailed engravings inside of each of the squares. And I thought it was so highly unusual because it was round and it was still a grid. I was just kind of staring at those. And then I got these flashing images afterwards and this waving of light and dark feelings and lights. And I started having panic feelings and my body started twitching and I didn't know what was happening. And I realized I was, I became paralyzed again. This time I immediately had a different feeling it wasn't the energy ball this time. It was a feeling through my entire body. There were like electrical zings, like high vibrational energy. It was almost like 
highly sensual feelings through my entire body. And it changed with highly controlled precision. It, it would get more intense and then less intense. And it actually interacted with me. It actually responded to comments or requests that I made. I didn't feel panic this time because the feelings itself were so pleasant that I just didn't care. I even was able to recognize I was in a highly altered state. And I had no sense of my body except for these feelings that were induced. And then suddenly there was a, towards the end, there was an explosion of light in my abdominal area on the left. And I knew that it was a conception event. And I was kind of told that this was a regression or a memory, but I have no sense of when. This whole event went on for, again, like two and a half hours. It stopped really suddenly. And I immediately felt alarm, but I was exhausted and wrote it out. And I'm like, oh, this is this is really strange. I mean, I literally had to send it to you before I went to sleep because I knew that by the time morning got there, I wasn't going to write this down or tell anybody. That night, I had these dreams of brown ants coming into my room and crawling and climbing really fast and forming these strange structures. I was pretty upset the next morning because I felt like I had really high concerns of being influenced by that altered state because that was a conception event. And if this had to do with abduction and to have such pleasant feelings induced, it felt like a manipulation. I got really concerned about that and got even more afraid. That ontological shock was kind of sinking back in. I had lots of the somatic experiences coming back. I was also starting to get at this point a lot of tones and sounds in my ears and seeing lots of flashes of light. Those black objects were back that I had seen previously. That portal of light was back. And all of those things continued like day and night at different times, literally for months. One of the strange, <laughs> then it really got strange. Now I, <laughs> the next day after this experience, I was, that next night, I was suddenly told very strongly inside to begin these tantric practices. I was told what energy to bring into my body and what to transmute and what to send out. And I thought that was so strange because I was a Zen practitioner and I had never studied tantra, Vajrayana or any, I hadn't been a part of that lineage. But it was so insistent that I just went with it. I I didn't know who the hell was telling me this. I just, it's like, okay. And between that and the fear of being manipulated, I just didn't quite know how to figure that out. And then we get up, we get up to our third session. And one of the things you mentioned to me in that session was the Bodhisattva vow about how even the beings are in samsara and are sentient beings. And I had such a big mind snap of, oh, my gosh, that's true. It shifted them from being these others that I was absolutely terrified of to being something that was under my vow. And it completely shifted my perspective. Now, it doesn't mean that I wasn't fearful or upset about these altered states. And you described something to me about a spiritual immune system, you know, about questioning everything. And I have the right to do that. That really shifted how I felt. 
and gave me permission to continue to question, just like with people, you know, we don't accept every relationship that comes in. We get to question it. We get to test it. Then you started talking about human sovereignty more, and I was actually starting to hear you at this point (laughs) in the manifesto. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm starting to see the relevance here. (laughs) So I get it. I think I'll go ahead and do that (laughs) because I was feeling, you know, the need to really take my position and how I'm going to enter into this world. And I did write a rather lengthy manifesto that I haven't, I haven't changed a word of it to this day. And it's still just as meaningful, if not more, because I actually understand it more now. I asked Anne if she'd be willing to read from her manifesto, and she agreed. So here's what I wrote at that time that still stands for me. I declare and claim my role as a member of the primordial lineage of creativity. I declare and commit to becoming a conscious lineage holder in something from nothing creativity at this time in history, and I'm dedicated to this path of becoming healthy and promoting health and healing in others in our sick culture. To this end, I'm committed to safeguarding this vital, exuberant, cosmic creativity in myself and others. I pledge to dedicate my life through intentional practices to cultivate enlightenment and positive evolutionary growth for all sentient beings and dedicate myself in the service to others. I will expose and dispel with right actions all that block deceives, manipulates, and destroys human sovereignty. I will disentangle confusion, deception, and fear to free human potential. I align my life with my deepest values of enlightened mind, love, creativity, connection, compassion, and wisdom. I will hold to my central imperative and highest objectives to connect with the original creative source and free this creative source as the foundational energy infusing and informing all that I experience and bring into this world for health, healing, and enlightenment. There is nothing else of higher importance. I'm determined in all circumstances to stand firm in clear discernment, declare boundaries, and execute right action, promoting human sovereignty in all dealings, in all realms but especially with the realm of the strange, whether experienced inwards, outwards, or otherwards. It is non-negotiable to take this path alone and to allow fear to dominate any part of my experience. Fear will be held and watched, but not lived within. I'm dedicated to connecting and engaging consistently with the we of like-minded souls for stability, wisdom, and focus and to expand influence out to all souls to free the power of the primordial creative force and strengthen human sovereignty. So I'm about a week and a half into these experiences and that personal manifesto was a big turning point. It gave me a sense of commitment to this path and to figuring it out whatever parts of it I could. I spent time writing down different practices that I would engage in to figure it out, including changes to my own spiritual practices, taking good care of my health. 
I was especially interested in practices that would promote discernment to figure this out. I didn't know what all these voices are in my head. I don't know how to live this life. And so I was basically kind of making up ways to become more mindful of what's going on with me. I put animism practices in with the discernment and these protection practices and just began engaging. What's really interesting is that the more that I engaged inwardly, the more I felt comfortable engaging outwardly. And at this point, I joined the experiencer group and began to go to the support group. And I'll tell you, I was terrified. I am someone who has never seen a reason to go to therapy or support groups my entire life. I've always thought that whatever happens, I got it. My husband and I can work it out. And I've never had what I would consider big events that needed that kind of attention that I couldn't handle on my own. But this one had me showing up in front of people to talk about. And I experienced such kindness and warmth from the group and validation. I literally had to write out notes. I had to read them because I just, I was shaking. I just couldn't hardly imagine speaking these words out of my mouth. Within that same week, I was able to acknowledge the fact that abduction was something that was a part of my history and that I had experienced trauma from it. I really questioned why I couldn't have been aware of this in my mindfulness meditation. This stuff can be so tightly locked up. I sort of deliberately chosen not to have trauma be a specialty in my practice during most of the years that I've practiced because I considered it complicated and there was lots of people who specialized in that, but I now see that it might have been something that in the past would have been hard for me. And I realized that the word trauma was even hard for me. I, I didn't think I had any. The idea of it was hard to sink in. So one way I helped myself was I literally wrote out a mindfulness meditation with the word trauma repeated and kept developing it over the next several days. Every time I noticed something that traumatized me or gave me those feelings, I wrote it down as to what was triggering it. Even though I didn't know the events, I did know that I was feeling it. And I even started started this meditation with things like, you know, I have trauma about the word trauma. I have trouble using that word repeatedly about re-experiencing previous traumas. More coming forward, I thought, oh my gosh, I had a lot of trauma about telling other people these details. And I was worried about opening up feelings in other people or loved ones. I had trauma about breaking the illusion that nothing like this could ever happen to me, that this stuff was real. And it was also traumatic to think that there was no option to return to anywhere I had inhabited before, that this had cracked open and there was no going back. And that it wasn't going to get any easier, that more was going to come forward. I had trauma that my thoughts had been invaded, that my body was. I was worried that my thoughts were blocked or manipulated. 
I was worried that my body might not be able to take this, that I would get some kind of reoccurrence of illness or impairment that I'd made so much progress with. I didn't know what else was going to come up. And I was also worried that it might stay locked up forever and I wouldn't know anymore. It's a very vulnerable place to be. I'd never felt so vulnerable and exposed inwardly and outwardly. And just showing up in front of you to say it out loud was really, really hard. And being in the condition that I was, I was a pretty in-control person and felt like I had things together. And to show up in the state that I was, was traumatic in and of itself. After I spent some time with that meditation and it kept expanding, and we were talking about it in one of the sessions later in October, you gave me an idea because I was complaining about this. There was a point where I got really mad at at this meditation (laughs) because I started screaming at it because I was really annoyed that I'm not a victim. This is a stupid word. It shouldn't even be a thing. I need to just get over it. I'm so sick of it. It's probably not even true. I went through, you know, this wasn't just a an easy meditation. I went through a lot of phases with it over the next couple of weeks. And what you suggested in one of our sessions was trying adding curiosity to the trauma meditation. And I'm telling you, that was another really big pivot point. So I took every one of those statements and I, I basically said, I'm curious, fill in the blank. And it completely transformed what I was going through with this meditation. couple examples. I'm curious why the this re-experiencing and these experiences are perceived as intolerable, that this trauma is going to be intolerable. I'm curious as to why this trauma is something that I think I can't handle. And when I thought that it was so bad that I'd never be able to go back to my previous life, I said, I'm curious why I would ever want to go back and got curious as to why I thought my capacities couldn't handle this and why it would be so bad to share, especially if it would help others. And one thing that did for me is it opened up a lot of space. It threw me more into developing a broader bandwidth for the unknown. And I was able to witness these constructs that I had developed more clearly and throw them into the unknown and develop better constructs. At this point, I had to figure out, you know, where is my security and stability located? Is it in physical objects? Is it because I have some kind of certainty of reality? I could see that it wasn't really in the concrete rational thought, even though all of these existed. I had to try to find someplace else that had to be brought into my conscious awareness. So in the month of October, this is where I ended it, being able to accept this reality and engage it and figure out practices to help myself. And our discussions twice a week for hours helped me figure out how to engage my inner life more consciously and to accept the reality that there's beings, guides, ancestors, and that we're inside of this cosmology that we've closed down and we think is regressive. And that was the beginning for me to be able to figure out how I'm gonna live this life. 
that was a pretty wild first month. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, Stuart, I got this. I've had the experiences I need to have, and now I'm figuring out this stuff is real. So nothing else is going to happen, right? Okay, so that was October. Let's go on to November when nothing more was supposed to happen. So these tantric practices continued every single night, and they would go one to two hours. They were fairly intense. And I was given very specific instructions as to what energy I was to work with each night. And not only these practices, but over this time period, I began to get instructions about how to change my diet. It had gone to vegetarian really quickly. And by the time I got to November, it started switching to vegan. I was given instructions about certain exercises, but nothing too intense at that point. Um, I started being told to use hypnagogic states and start to notice, notice that. It was often when I would get different uh, messages or visions after these tantric practices and in hypnagogic states. In November, I took a, tri a second trip to Salt Lake City that I already had planned for months. Because of the genealogy research that I did, I went to the Salt Lake City Mormon Family History Library, and I was scheduled to be there an entire week on my own. I thought it was a good chance to just treat it as a retreat. I really enjoyed doing that research and, you know, the people that were there and just enjoying the time to get away from it all after everything that had happened the previous month. So I thought this will be a nice getaway to regenerate. However, right before I left, there was, I think it was the, the Monday before I left, <laughs> I had this thought before these tantric practices sort of kicked in for that night. And I said to myself, quite firmly, actually, you know, I, I wonder if I can just opt out of this and go, go back to my previous life. Like, this is getting really intense, this energy these things that had happened, and I spent the last couple of weeks kind of integrating, but these, seriously, these tantric practices were really generating a lot of energy, and I just didn't know where it was headed. I still didn't know if I trusted it, and immediately after that came out of my mind's mouth, <laughs> I got a full-on smackdown, spiritually, energetically. I don't know how to explain it. But I got a total whole body somatic lightning bolt energy that was going on for two hours. And I would kind of call it energetic torture is what I wrote down. And it refused to leave until I was screaming in my head, I surrender. And I'm like, I surrender. That sounds bad. I know that's good spiritually, but I don't know what I'm surrendering to in this situation. And all I could think to say next was, you're going to have to show me how to surrender because I don't even know how to trust this. I don't even know what surrender means in this context. And I got a flood in my head that everything had to go. My wishing that I could go back to my previous life, that anything could be different. I had to let go of my fears. I had to let go of the fears of what I'll be asked to do in the future. 
my questioning about who I am and what I've experienced and my connection to all this high strange stuff. And that was an extreme sense of vulnerability, but it felt like absolutely no choice again. And what happened after that was very high energy, very little sleep for weeks and weeks. During this time, I I literally never felt tired. I didn't feel any pain. There was bliss there all the time. This silence descended into my mind, this peace and clarity. And my body felt quiet and clear. And it was the most profound clearing I'd ever felt. And for the rest of that week, there was that, I'm used to synchronicities, but when it raises to really high levels, you feel like you can't even differentiate your environment and yourself. And there was lots of visions and flashing lights that week. I was waking up with dreams, with guides, receiving messages. And one night when I was awake, because I was only sleeping about three hours a night at this, this time, there was a column of light that came down on top of me. And there was an orange fireball, and it was bouncing down and kind of hitting the edges. And it landed in my abdominal area. And it just sunk in this feeling of peace and wellness. And I was working with my protection circle and I began interacting with them, bowing to them and thanking them. I actually burned the trauma meditation inside the circle in my mind. I'm like, that's, that's it. You know, I'm moving on. So I'm six weeks into these experiences and feeling like I'm turning the corner. And this was the first glimpses I was having of, the benefits of these practices and going through this trauma and shock. And at this point in our discussion, Stuart, you had me work on sort of the four, a four quadrants exercise, which harkened back to my integral days. So I enjoyed that. And it was about blocks and hurdles to this life that I'm now living and invitations. And it was good to look inside myself, outside myself, in my social environment and in my culture as to what was influencing blocks that were still there. I still had fear of my body and mind being invaded and manipulated. There was still ontological shock kind of waving in and out, even though I had all of this powerful energy moving through me. I knew it was Kundalini energy and was very thankful for that. It felt like a buffer, but there was still oscillations between these. I knew I was still afraid to tell anybody. I still hadn't told my husband about this, even though, again, I knew he'd be understanding and accept it. But I was really afraid of the world knowing about this stuff because I I couldn't imagine a time when I could speak of it. What I really liked was the invitation page because it was starting to highlight to me things that I could sense and feel. And that's in every single quadrant, I put joy and inspiration. And it felt so good to feel that. It was so deep and so meaningful. And having that sense of curiosity was really carrying me through. I'm deeply connected to everything related to creativity and primordial creativity. And so thankful that that's part of your language, Stuart, because I even wonder if that's my primary spiritual practice, that it's so deeply meaningful to me. I was starting to be able to embrace more of the unknown and still work on healing trauma, not having to have answers. 
but doing the practices anyway, I can't lose, right? It's a win-win. I was starting to realize, you know, there's lots of abilities that I was starting to differentiate between psychokinetic abilities, which I have strongly, and that I was kicking up all that stuff that I was afraid of spirits and still was. It was getting even stronger. We had more appliances going out, more problems. We've replaced almost all of the appliances and electronics in our house that are around me and in the main areas at this point. And my husband, who's pretty high tech, has been very patiently fixing my computer and phone over and over again. And he has had he's had to hardwire me into the house so that so that I can have reliable connections, especially during those first few months. I was starting to understand telepathic communication a lot more because everything non-human entity is by telepathic communication and realizing that's something that I have very strongly also. I In the past, I thought everything, oh, it's just an intuitive ability. It's just spiritual. But I'm starting to differentiate out more. You know, even those little tiny bits of, of awareness was helping me with discernment. So as I'm moving along here with these glimpses, I end up going to Salt Lake City with this retreat, having lots of time for meditation. And there was a moment halfway through the trip when it was especially strong. So I still wasn't sleeping very long and it was no problem for me, which, but it also gave me a lot of hours in meditation and contemplation and experiencing was starting to get strong again. There was one night when the Kundalini energy was so high that I popped out of my body, my physical body and went into a light body. I was already within my protection circle and already had them around me because I had wanted everything to happen with their approval and within have that be kind of a, I don't know, a bus station (laughs) that things can come in and out of, that nothing should happen without their approval. And I was able to travel there in my light body, wherever that was, and go back and forth. And when I was there with them, I was able to pop out again to a clear body. This is what I called them at the time. And that clear body was able to go inside of the light body and look around and pop back out again and just kind of see the protection circle itself. And I was learning how to move between these bodies and just kind of experimenting and and seeing what that was about. There was a moment when I was in the clear body and I was looking at my light body And there was very high bliss feelings. And I saw myself give birth to a child in this space, inside my protection circle, in this light body. It was all wonderful. It was complete awe and wonder. And I saw this being float over to the right side at about 3 o'clock on my protection circle and come in front of one of the lighted beings. And that being was emanating such love and awe. And all of a sudden, I saw the obituary that I had just located that day in the Family History Research Center that was an obituary of an ancestor of mine in Ohio who had been a doctor 
And it was a very unusual obituary. It was, it was longer than any I'd ever seen. And someone had written it who was very close to this doctor because it recounted for paragraphs the last moments of his life and how dedicated he was to his patients and how he recovered from his illness at the end of his life a few times and still went to see his patients even though he wasn't well. And he was the only doctor in that area. This was back in the 1800s. He was the only doctor there. And so he was totally dedicated to helping the people of his community. And I saw this obituary in my mind very clearly. And this being showed it to me and said, this is who I am. And I knew that he, that it was saying, I am the doctor. And it was a mantis being. And there was a couple other ETs next to the mantis that were unidentified. And all, all of us were in complete awe and bliss feelings together. It was an amazing experience. And this Kundalini state, this bliss lasted for four days for the rest of my trip. And it, at the end of my trip, they, they, I say they as in guides took me to this jewelry studio where you make jewelry and they, designed these rings for me to make and I spent hours on my last night in Salt Lake City making these rings and they told me what each thing represented and it felt like a graduation ceremony of some kind of some initial initiation moment and I was I was really happy and in bliss then I got on the plane to come home and I tried to read a few things. I haven't been able to read, you know, about this world because I would get body reactions. And I couldn't do it on the plane. I started to feel things again. And when I got home that night, um, I, I started feeling the, the, the descending of my rational mind coming in. And I started getting really angry. I started feeling ill. And it was building and building and I had so many somatic reactions and that sound was was starting in my head again of the tones and it started getting to disturbing levels and that night I had physical manifestations in my room of these small red orbs and the green orbs and then there were white orbs and then there was a light mist and of course the usual flashing lights and images were coming up and I I saw the black cloud again that sometimes comes in my room. It feels very sentient. And some of the things that happened early on were returning. I started getting body marks again on my left arm. And this time I had the addition of a sprained finger. I really struggled to manage these feelings of body invasion. And something new started. I started getting this sensory overwhelm of something that I still call sound without sound, where I, it was like sensory input from everywhere. And it was, it feels so intense that I feel like I need to cover my ears, but it's not sound. So I, I don't know how to make it stop. And that would come in every once in a while. And I, <laughs> I started calling, I started getting really upset because I started calling this the cult of contact. Like I had just been initiated into a cult because those high altered states of feeling such bliss 
And I realized that I thought, you know, actually mantids are as scary as hell at this point. And I was really intimidated by them. And this feeling was growing and it was like lurking under the surface and it felt like it was going to come out like a jump scare. It was just rising up. And as that feeling was growing at that time, I started feeling phobic about all kinds of things like doctors in general and just I'm not going to a doctor no one's going to touch my body I started getting afraid of spiders at this point which I've had my whole life but it came up for the first time as something really phobic at this moment and even contact with the world started feeling intimidating now in the midst of all of this stuff happening I'm still functional during the day everything's going well um you know I'm still not sharing this or talking about it i still go in and out of these feelings and being highly functional but i'll tell you this week i started getting ang- more angry than i ever remember being and i'm like oh my gosh what just happened last week the doctor oh my god he's telling me he's the doctor and oh this is <laughs> this is great it's awesome it's magical you know like what the hell is this going what is this um happening to me that i am being manipulated so much that thinking all of this abduction and, you know, this child and everything is wonderful. And here I am, I'm giving a birth to some child inside my protection circle and the mantis is there in my protection circle. You know, what is the protection circle for? If all this is going to go on in there, I'm telling you, I was mad, feeling manipulated. And I took those rings (laughs) that they made, that they had me make, which I wore on my two pointer fingers. And I moved them over to my two middle fingers and I literally was giving them the finger on both hands (laughs) and I remember telling you this (laughs) when I showed up to the next session because I was so mad (laughs) but that's it and I didn't want the ontological shock. I just wanted to be angry and I just wanted it all to stop. And that was it. And I'm tired of being manipulated. And (laughs) this is the point where, (laughs) you know, you said you can do some human sovereignty moves here, right? Like you can go on strike. You have the right to pause. I'm like, Ooh, I'm liking that. Um, I'm going on strike because this is getting ridiculous and I don't like this. Yeah, it felt really good. But again, coming out of it is a nasty trip. And my rational mind didn't like any part of this. Wasn't going to accept it. That's it. So I attempted to take a pause and go on strike that week. He also talked to me about cosmic respiration. Really interesting term sort of uh, when you're breathing into this and breathing it out and just allowing it to kind of circulate through. And one of your famous statements came out this week. You know what? When you're in doubt, go slow or don't go. I love that. I use that all the time because I always feel like I need to do something about this stuff and figure it out. And when that's not possible and you're doing practices, (laughs) they go like this and your mind doesn't like it. (laughs) Where do you go next? I don't know. I like permission to go slow or don't go at all. So, I mean, talking to you as frequently as we did, you know, twice a week, we're still doing it eight months later and going to these support groups 
and starting to talk to people individually, it really helped my curve of integration and kept me moving. I still really wasn't comfortable reading books or watching videos, trying to do anything with these topics. I still don't do hardly anything at all. But I was able to to kind of move through that that week and, and snap out of it decently. You never snap out of things completely. But you helped me find my agency again. You know, I felt like I could go on and feel like I had some sense of myself and some control in this. At least some say. So, again, I thought I'd feel more of a break of the intensity. I did feel some response from whoever's working with me. But I was completely immersed in synchronicity and weirdness for that week. You know, it feels like this fabric around that's highly energized and synced, whether it's people talking to you or electronics, birds, animals. And I realized that I, I think I was, <laughs> I think I was primarily mad at my guides, which apparently Amantis is one of them, but I was kind of ignoring him because I felt like whoever my guides are, I was wondering at this point, why aren't they more in control of this stuff and protecting me more? And why would they allow me to be treated this way? I think I was too afraid to direct, you know, to direct too much anger directly at the ETs, the mantis. So I kind of shifted it to <laughs> the guides, you know, like, I don't know if they're going to. I didn't want anything more to happen to me. So I'm like, guys, okay, I'm mad at you for allowing that stuff to happen. And I started using automatic writing at this point because I have studied and used hypnotic trances and healing work. And I had used automatic writing in the past. And so I did start engaging the guides and asking them more questions and trying to figure things out, not knowing if it was going to work. It did work. At some points, not all the time, I did get answers about how we move forward as, as humans and our growth process. This month of November was definitely my first lesson in trying to live in human sovereignty. It's not just something you declare and go, okay, I got it. <laughs> no one's going to touch me. No one's going to bother me. I'm in a protection circle. There's a wall. Nothing's going to happen. That's not how it works. I thought it was going to work that way. I hoped it, <laughs> hoped it was. But we're embedded in this, in this cosmic world, just like we're embedded in this physical world. You know, we can't avoid humans and say we're not going to interact with them or we're going to be completely protected from them and everything that could happen. Same thing inside of ourselves, inside this subtle realm. And I was coming to terms with it at this point. The support group was the best thing that ever happened to me. Taking it out into the world for the first time. And it was a private, small world. But it got me verbalizing this stuff and validating myself and hearing validations in the stories of others. There was never too much repetition of anything you said or things I heard because on any given day, I hear it and digest it differently based upon what I was going through. And I really realized that the we was becoming more and more important to have these discussions and ask questions 
none of us were coming up with answers. We were coming up with how do we live this life? Like, how can we be healthy? How can we go to work the next day? How do we have these relationships? And my takeaways in November was that this world isn't going anywhere. I'm not going to be going back. And that I'm getting a sense that it is possible to engage this world. And I'm going to figure it out the best I can. Because I needed to figure out more skillful ways to deal with the subtle states, these altered states, this form of communication. I see now I wasn't being manipulated, but that's just the form of the communication. Like this is where the communication exists. Coming out of these states and getting my rational brain into it. You know, my rational brain is kind of the last to know everything. And when I'm in those subtle places, everything feels completely coherent and more real than it does in the physical realm. And I was just learning what saturation in those places felt like. I'd had glimpses my whole life, but saturating in and what it means to feel those states more fully and consciously. Another one of your famous statements came in at this point. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. (laughs) I didn't come up with that one for the record. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was November. I finally decided to tell my husband. And at that point, I'm starting to hear things from other people's point of view, like, okay, this is what I'm going to tell him. And I realized, oh, my God, this stuff's like happening all in my head. How do you tell How do you tell someone? I didn't see I didn't see crafts in the sky or things showing up in person. I saw plenty of manifestations of things and lights and stuff. But I'm like, (laughs) how do you tell someone, even if you know they'll believe you, that all this stuff is (laughs) going on in your head or visions or whatever this is? I how do I even verbalize this? But I managed to. I just I just had to report it as it happened. He was just like, uh, okay. (laughs) This is Anne's husband, Tony, relating some of his initial reaction to Anne's experiences and how his interpretation has evolved and expanded and how reflecting deeply on his wife's experiences triggered recollections of his own inexplicable childhood episodes. As you'll hear, this is a great example of something I call the genealogy of the strange, in which one person's study of their anomalous history shakes loose such similar events in the background of extended family and loved ones. When Anne first came to me and said she was having an experience, I had probably what the normal reaction that most family members have, which is something's going on with her brain. She's got a tumor. (laughs) As it progressed a little further and she started talking about other people that she's meeting and what they were into, I happened to be listening to some podcasts and television series about cults. And so some of it sounded a little cultish as well. And I have a undergraduate degree in biblical studies as well as another one in human development. And so these kinds of things have I've been very interested in my entire life. I've been thinking about these different kinds of ways of being and and philosophies and the way people, even smart people, can get caught up 
in ways of thinking that might not be healthy. And so I was watching out for that kind of thing. And then I was going, all right. But I remember listening to your experience a year before your experience with the mantis. And so I'm going, all right, I need to start listening to other experiencers. And so I started listening to aliens and artists and two episodes that particularly had an impact. One was your tribute to John Mack. And the other one was the interview with Kimberly Lafferty. The one with, for John Mack, your descriptions of how you related states of consciousness to experiencers, something clicked and it's like, oh, okay, I get it. And that was the experience of the subtle. Okay, I can understand that. I can see how that experiencing can be in that subtle realm. And that's a reality that I'm familiar with. And it was like, oh, okay, that's where it is. That's where it's at. Now I can tune into that. And then Kimberly's, when she was recounting her childhood experience, I had a, a just a visceral somatic response. I just started crying. And it wasn't until after I started reflecting on, okay, so what memories are coming up in reaction to this to her experience and it was a uh, I remember I was somewhere between ages six and eight and a couple different times it may even be more than that but I would get into a state where I was looking outside and the only way I can describe it now is sort of an existential dread experience at those young ages and I would just start sobbing and crying for no reason. You know, my parents would ask and I go, I don't know. I have no idea what it is. Just this is the way I feel. And that was what came back to me at that time. And it was, again, that connection on the subtle level is what I was the way I was interpreting at the time. So after those, I started just hearing Anne's experiences in a different light and in a different context. I started tuning in to the subtle in a whole new way and reinterpreting her experiences in that light and in that context. And then it became, it, it came out of my head and it became somatic in a way that was totally different. It flipped the script for me and was a confirmation that something was real here because it was totally out of the blue. I didn't have any other explanation for it. It was like I was given it to say, okay, yeah, something's real here. Pay attention, get into this, start really paying attention to what's going on and connecting more. So we did, I did. <laughs> and that's when real synchronicities started happening with her with Anne. And those synchronicities have only intensified over the months. He believed me. He validated me. We've been on the journey together, both spiritually and through integral developmental levels and used those languages. And he was, he knew I was going through a lot, but he had given me my space in order to be able to metabolize this and, uh, come to him when I was ready. 
And so it was one more step for me to try to verbalize this and figure it out. But now we're eight weeks in at the end of November, so I definitely know nothing else is going to happen. The end. (laughs) Can we circle back to the notion of surrendering to our sovereignty? Can you speak about the distinction between submission to that which feels insurmountable or insuperable? These beings who are of another order, we may feel we should simply submit to them because we perceive no option to counter their power. So let's parse the distinction between abject submission versus surrendering to our innate sovereignty, the native endowment of the human soul. I would like to just invite your reflections on this. Yeah, so it's it's really tricky to differentiate between submission and surrender. And I was really struggling with that during this time. Because I did get those imperatives. I did get those things happening to me that I felt like I couldn't control. There's this, it's so mixed up. The first time you go through all of these different experiences consciously. And so the best way I can describe it is that my spiritual tradition gave me a context for this surrender. And it informed that the surrender wasn't just submitting to non-human entities, just like I wouldn't be surrendering to people in the physical world. I could see it the same way. Like if some people came into my life and were making demands on me or different things like that, depending on who they were, if they were teachers, I may submit to that, especially if I thought it was for my own good, if it was something I wanted to learn. Now, it takes it up a notch when it's non-human entities and they're already inside your consciousness, inside your body, and you don't understand the communication that's being given and how much control that you have or don't have. So it gets a little more complicated, and that's where the struggle was. But the context that I had for this spiritual surrender had more to do with surrendering to the fact that this reality existed, that I needed to stop fighting it if I was going to be able to engage and evolve myself and be able to engage in the practices One reason I didn't argue with the practices too much is because of one thing that you had mentioned to me once where you pay attention to the outcomes. And sometimes the outcomes take time to see, you know, is this, is this turning out okay? Is this good for me? Is this healthy? And these tantric practices were very powerful and very enlightening and really showed me energy of life and death and connections between human beings. And I was able to send out that energy to others. And it was in the context of that, that I was able to see that I needed this surrender to be able to embrace what I needed to do to handle this reality better. I was still arguing and fighting it and mad that I couldn't understand it. And ironically, That's what I needed to surrender. I realized that figuring it out 
or getting some answers wasn't how I was going to manage this life. It was something else. And I was surrendering to, I guess the best way to put it is the parts of myself that were fighting and living within these subtle spiritual energies and allowing them to guide me, you know, giving up some of that control of the part of myself that didn't understand this world very well and allowing the part of myself that did actually understand it better take the wheel and that I could trust that, that there's parts of myself that actually know what's going on and there are other guides and beings there interacting with me and that I needed to trust that more. And to me, actually experiencing that, not just believing it, but going through that act of surrender and actually doing that surrender actually gave me the biggest boost to my human sovereignty and my feelings of human sovereignty that I've experienced to this day. Everything I've done since has just been another flavor of that and a booster to that. But I gained more human sovereignty by surrendering to the reality of this world and my ability to engage in it and trusting that just a little bit without the full understanding that I've had in my experiences so far. One thing so confirming in how you live this is that the vetting and verifying occurs through long-term relationship, not through merely charismatic presences or exotic events, and the self is approached as a plurality. And whether the voices are internal or external, whether the personhoods are constituents of our self-identity or external to us as discrete forms of sentience, The trust is earned through depth and confirmation over time out of outcomes, results. It's easy to fall under the swoon of anomalous events sometimes because they're magnetic, enigmatic, but that alone does not earn them a place in our inner circle. It's critical that we live as that we, but also verify and vet that we as it grows. So I'd love to ask you about manipulation, specifically how human, non-human communication can engender confusion by its very nature. It can be unclear to experiencers whether we're being manipulated by transrational theater and invasively personal messaging, or conversely, whether it is simply that non-human signaling systems are non-anthropomorphic. Even in human-to-human mutuality, is a signifier a form of manipulation. If I say the word tree and you envision a tree, have I manipulated your consciousness in causing you to evoke that referent? So this becomes important when we scale it up and out to the subtle lexicon of non-human entities. Experiencers have download events, telepathic exchanges of instant acquisition of volumes of information, Non-human vocabulary includes synchronicity, theater, metaphor, cognitive dissonance, encrypted in the environment, and animals, and on and on and on. So to this distinction between A, when straightforward signaling is occurring, as opposed to B, when there is influence, control, or willful shaping of the consciousness of the recipient, experiencer. And what have you found reliable in parsing these nuances? Does that make sense? 
Makes sense. That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. So I like what you said about most reliable, like, like that's, that means that you're trying and testing and asking and questioning and you're giving it some time element. And that's about the only way that I can, I can think about this question because what I do know is that when I'm in a trauma phase, like I was to begin with, I'm going to see a lot more manipulation going on in what's happening to me because I'm feeling more out of control. And I know that my consciousness and the state of my consciousness has a big impact on how I'm going to see the phenomenon and experience it when, this, when it shows up. And that's just been a pattern that I've been able to see over time. And that w- it doesn't mean that I still buy everything or agree with everything that I see or experience. But I'm, I'm calmer or more questioning, but not experiencing it as, neg- as negative or manipulative as much when I'm not in trauma phases. So I know that that's one, one factor. I think it's like, again, I compare it to, the, to our physical reality. You know, when we're having conversations with people and they make requests of us or similar to what you said about envisioning the tree, when we're talking with each other, we're constantly visioning what they're saying and relating it to our own lives and pulling things out of our own consciousness to discuss and relate to. And this scaling that happens in our inner world when we're dealing with non-human entities, it is, it's, it's huge and it feels so powerful. There's so much emotion and body sensing and it feels more real in the subtle realm. And so it makes sense that we get flooded and the, it doesn't come in like words or doesn't have that slow pace that we have when we're talking to someone else in the physical realm. So I think it is like a sensory overload, a sensory download of all kinds of communication. I need to use that general term because I don't even understand what all the types of communication are, but we get so much and it's almost like it has to filter down into this gross body, gross physical body an attempt to put some kind of words to it when it's, you know, when it's not even, not even really possible. And so as I've engaged in this subtle realm, you do get more signaling, you get more downloads, you get more communication. And that's what I think this integration process is about. It's not like we'll always understand what's being said, but as we integrate it, we get little bits of understanding and there seems to be this impulse that it creates inside of me and others have described it too of stimulating growth stimulating consciousness development this judging of outcomes that I do all the time if it's good for me if it's good for my consciousness and evolution if it's good for me to help others then it's a win for me. If it also is part of communication, things that I've been given, I always work to discern the messages I'm given to see if it matches my own values, what I think's important and what my guides tell me. And I wasn't good at that at first. I still don't know if I'm that good at it, but I can feel improvements 
and the outcomes that I have received have been consistently good for me and my life and for me to help others. And so that's why I agree and I surrender to it, staying embedded within the questioning and discernment. Be sure to catch part two of our conversation with Ann Tyler, where we explore her clandestine work conducting out-of-body reconnaissance in the military, remote viewing non-human intelligences. To learn more about Ann Tyler, check the show notes. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse, offering one-on-one work with me, Stuart Davis. Sessions include work with non-human entities, abduction, past life, creativity as a spiritual path, and more. To book a session, check the show notes. And while you're there in the show notes, hey, why not become a patron, become a plusser? It's like being a prepper for the inevitability of non-dual consciousness. Minus listeners are condemned to duality, and ironically, their duality is an atemporal disunity. Patrons and plusers invented sequence, and so have time for everything. (laughs) Patrons and plusers know that there's two kinds of non-duality, and each of them is both. Minus listeners stare at clocks and go flaccid. That's true. Patrons and plusers are edging their silken horns between form and formless porn. Patrons and plusers are priestesses of parthenogenesis. They give themselves a reach around. Just click the link in the show notes and become a patron or a pluser. Support your favorite show or this one. End up sinking and it makes love wonder what fear's thinking Two crows sit at the window Keeping the bitch out over your widow Two coins dropping the casket over your sockets Bury that bastard Two thirds ready for Easter Thinking you're Jesus, proving you're Caesar What's under the ropes is still cross-eyed in the witness and searching for suchness. Back home, God's diamond puts a diaper on the daughter of a mystical martyr. Triggered a seizure, making believe that his body's a disease. Wishing for a world where a vapor would thrive. Giving up his life, cause if he were alive, he would have his wings if feathers came from crutches. Or that cushiony clutches. Somebody slap me and can't stop laughing. Suicide is back in fashion. All our sanders end up sinking, and it makes love wonder what fear's thinking. Two crows sit at the window, keeping the fear job over your widow. Two coins dropping the casket over your sockets, bury that bastard. Two birds ready for. 
of a white tornado In the pit of a black volcano In the palm of a human hand There's a grain of this quicksand I'm just a girl with the planet inside of me I'm the daughter of man but the man up in fight of me I bid my brother and my brother ignited me Divinity's twin still some devil divided me Goddess from the hominids out of sea Epicac to this mythical prophecy